Okay, folks, we're so excited because you're listening to a bonus episode. These midweek drops are where we invite some of our favorite past guests back on the pod to revisit their characters. We are able to do these now because of your support. You can get these bonus episodes in full by being a Patreon supporter. The link is in the show notes. Or you can become an Apple Premium subscriber. That's just by smashing that button in your podcast player. For anyone else, head to that link in the show notes and use SupportCast to have these bonus episodes show up in any podcast player that you use. Mega is an improvised satire from the staff of a fictional megachurch. Hey, yo, this is your friend, Dale Bont. I'm hijacking the podcast again because unfortunately for my mom, Hallie, she's, well, she's not exactly a digital native. Um, Today, I received a call from my new friend, Bart Campolo, and we talk about Bart Ehrman and T.M. Lerman and a lot of really great thinkers and people. And um, basically, Bart is a guy who has a podcast called Humanize Me. He used to be a believer and he's not anymore, but he's one of those guys that's like, don't burn it down type of thing. He's not trying to like look at the divisive stuff between like maybe faith-based people and people who no longer believe that way, but he's looking for like, what are the common values that we have and how can we find common ground and make life meaningful and, and not about like heaven, but making your life heaven here right now instead of hell which life can often be a lot like hell anyway so he's gonna um call me and um i hope that you enjoy being with me today on uh, on uh, on an episode that i've uh hijacked the podcast again this is mega oh hello hello hey this this is day day this is bart campolo hi bart um should i call you bart or mr campolo or you should certainly call me Bart. Everybody calls me Bart. That's cool. I don't know any Barts. Um, so you're the first Bart I've ever, ever met, uh, which is something people say to me sometimes too, because there, there's not a lot of days. Well, actually, there are a lot of days, but there are not a lot of people named day. Hey, yeah. <laughs> um, I really appreciate you calling me. And um, full disclosure, I'm recording this because I've been um, tinkering around with um, – uh, hijacking my mom's podcast, which is a, 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 a podcast from the mega church where I was raised, Twin Hills Community Church in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, where are you calling in from, Bart? I am calling you from not that far away. I'm just down the road in Cincinnati, Ohio. That's cool. Um, well, I really appreciate your time because um, uh, when this hits the airwaves, um, I'm not sure who the audience will be, but I'm assuming that some people will know who your dad is. I looked up who your dad is, and I'm specifically interested to talk to you because I've been trying to have conversations with people who maybe understand the um, world that I'm from in terms of growing up in um, the church and um, then being a person who uh, starts to have thoughts that um, maybe feel like they're, you know, not in line with what I was raised with. And so I'm trying to talk to people who are either on the other side or on this side or somewhere in the middle and see what I can learn. And um, so I have a parent who works in the church and is a leader in the church. And it's very important to my parent that I 
um, sometimes I think it's almost like your parents only think they're successful if they replicate themselves. You know what I mean? Like you, if what, what do you think that instinct is from to be like, I am a success. If my offspring see the world, the way I do believe the way I do behave the way I do all that same stuff. Like, what do you think that is, you know, that they can't be curious about who we actually are instead of just um, you know, and getting to know us is who we are. They're just so important about imprinting themselves on us. What's that? Well, I mean, day, I, I, it's you say your your mom's the the lead, a leader in a in an evangelical megachurch. Yeah, yeah. So, so it, that, that's kind of a very specific kind of parenting vibe. Yeah, and, and what I mean by that is is that one of the reasons that evangelical Christians are so desirous of their children. And the rest of the world yeah. believing exactly what they do is because they're afraid that if you don't believe exactly what they do, the loving God of the universe will burn you in eternal torment and hell for the rest of, you know, for the rest of forever. Yeah. And so like, they're scared. So, you know, on some level you go like, why do they, why is it so important to my mom that I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and savior? Because the consequences of you not doing so in her mind are unbelievably horrible. Yeah. I just heard that girl who grew up in the um, Westboro Baptist Church talk about how, you know, she felt very gaslit because she was taught that this is love. And what she was taught love was, she then grew up and realized it was hate. And she was like, whoa, you told me that hate was actually love or whatever. And sometimes I think that of like, why do we as Christians claim to have the, like we've sort of cornered the market on love, but that like sending people to hell, how does that fit into love? Because that more feels like an abusive relationship where like, if you don't love me, I'll destroy you. Like if you said that to a woman in a marriage or something, then people would try to get you out of there. You know, that that's, that's a very, that's a very good observation on your part. And I, I think, I mean, one of the things I want to tell you today, just, just coming out of the gates is th this is kind of not my first rodeo when it comes to talking with people who are raised up in the church and are trying to figure out like, I don't know if this all holds together. Right. It, ever since, like I grew up in that, I grew up in Christianity, but then like I became a Christian as a high school, like when I was about your age, yeah, that was when like I went to youth group and got saved and got excited about following Jesus. And I spent the next 30 years doing that stuff, like being like a, a, a missionary, being a preacher, running around. And so when I left the faith, when I couldn't believe in supernatural God anymore, when it all sort of like there was nothing left of my faith, uh, when that became well known, it was kind of a big deal. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking like if you're a pastor's son at a megachurch, like if you came out and said like, I don't believe in God, like yeah. that would be a big deal. Yeah. And and so w when I came out, a lot of a lot of people would reach out to me and say, like, I don't think I believe either. And the thing that was the hardest for, for most of them, the thing that, that is the hardest for most of them is the notion that the people that they love will say to them, well, if you don't believe in God, you're going to go to hell. If you don't trust Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you're going to go to hell. They'll say that to them. And then the next Sunday, they'll go to church and they'll sing, our God is an awesome yeah. God. Like they worship a God that would kill me. Yeah. And and, and the thing is like, I, even if you believe God would kill me, 
Like, even if you think like that's the kind of God he is, I would think like that would like diminish your respect and admiration for that God. But they're like, God is wonderful. And you're like, but he's going to kill me forever for not being able to believe that. Right. And they're like, yep. And, and that's really hard for some of us that grew up in Christendom is to know that the people that we left behind are okay with God damning everybody else to hell. Yeah. And I don't know if that's, is that, is that, is that part of what's hard for you? Well, I've done a lot of looking into like what I did was just be like, man, hell sucks. And I hate thinking about it all the time. And, um, and I took it so seriously that then I was like, well, let's look into this. And then I like really had trouble finding it in the Bible. And then the more I like looked it up, the idea of heaven and hell, you know, like it started to become really funny to me, even like the Ascension, you know what I mean? Did he, did he just shoot off from the Mount of Olives? Like it was Cape Canaveral and he's just shooting up through the layers of atmosphere. And he's like, whoa, the oxygen's getting thin and it's getting cold. And what happened to his physical body? And like, oh yeah, the Bronze Age mind believed in a three-tiered universe or whatever but now we have satellites and so it's like okay well then we just sort of stop preaching the ascension from the pulpit or something and i found that the more i learned about it then the more issue i took with people who say these things like our ideas of satan or lucifer those are from paradise lost man there's very little in the bible even if you look in Revelation. anyway i can get into it because one of the so the way i found you was because of bar derman and um tn lerman tm lerman um, from your podcast, Humanize Me, which I really like, and I really recommend it to anyone, Humanize Me, wherever you get your podcast, because <laughs> you get to talk to really cool thinkers. Um, but wait, even before, I, can I just ask you one quick thing? When you were a teenager and you decided to become a Christian, was it because you weren't really thinking about it, or was your sense for belonging stronger, or was it just that it put you in a community where you could like meet people that you liked and maybe date and stuff? Why did you do that? You know, no, I mean, that's a really good question because like, I obviously like my dad's this hyper Christian evangelist. Like I grew up always knowing that my parent, my, my dad believed in God and he was a nice guy. Like, like he, he, he was the, the nice kind of Christian, yeah. you know, like wanted to serve, one help the, the good poor ones. and all that stuff. So like the, the reason I wasn't a Christian growing up wasn't because I like was rebelling against my, my parents. It was just that, like the whole idea just didn't seem very plausible to me. Like it wow. never made sense to me. Yeah, yeah. Until I was 15 years old and this buddy on my soccer team took me along to his youth group. Uh -huh. And it was at one, it was like a mega church type of youth group. So I walk in there's 300 kids there. They're all super nice. Yeah. They're playing rock music, yeah. like they're having a great time together. And I I was a nice kid. Yeah, it's belonging. And right? I walked in and his yeah. youth group felt like a club for nice yeah. people, right? Yeah. Yeah. But even more than that, as, as like what I figured out was, is that the reason my friend had invited me was because like he and his buddies were on a mission to like help people and to, to help them find not just salvation, but like to, to reach out to lonely kids and bring them into the youth group so that they would feel connected, you know, to like help kids that were, that were being bullied and protect them. Like they, they were sort of like, we're on a mission from God to like make our high school a more loving place. And so for me, like that mission, like we're like we're yeah. gonna all band together and fight for goodness. I was like, that was really appealing to me. What was funny was, and maybe that maybe you can relate to this, is like, yeah, I love that group. I love that mission. I love the identity that it gave me and everything. The problem for me was like I still didn't think the narrative made much sense. And and like, you know, people say, like, did you accept Jesus Christ, you know, in order to avoid 
hell and go to heaven. I was like, no, like all that supernatural stuff, that wasn't the attraction. That was the price of getting into the group. Yeah. It's like, uh, if I got, you know, like I really want to be part of this group, but like, what do I got to believe? And they're like, well, you got to believe this and that. And I'm like, ah, okay, I'll do my best. struggling with the crazy theology stuff what was the the attraction for me was the community and the sense of purpose that it gave me and the sense of and also like the sense of like this is who we're supposed to date this is who you're not supposed to date this is like how you're supposed like it it sort of made my life a lot simpler i get like i was trying yeah i was like what am i gonna do with my life and then you know all of a sudden it was all there on for me on a plate so you know like that was the thing is i i got in I was, I was sort of, I wasn't convinced into Christianity. I was loved in. Ah, there's that love again. And that's why when people would make, like, would say like, this doesn't make any sense or stuff like that, people would sort of attack my thinking. I was like, you know, that's not, that's not where it's at for me. Like, you know, this life works for me. Yeah. It wasn't until I, you know, it, it was, it was shortly thereafter that I, I ended up, somebody said like. Hey, for Jesus, will you run a summer camp in inner city Camden, New Jersey? This like ghetto neighborhood. And I was like, for Jesus, I'll do anything. Yeah. And it was when I got in among all these poor people that all of a sudden I started to go like, wait a second. Yeah. Wait a second. I, I thought God was in charge. Yeah. I, I thought God was, I thought God was just. I thought like, and like my theology started getting messed up almost immediately. Like almost as ah. soon as I became a Christian, I was struggling to make sense of the Bible. I was struggling to make, you know, I, then I went to college and there were all these gay students. My roommates were gay and they were the greatest people I had ever met. But I was like, you know, where I came from, like we had to, you know, we had to tell them that, you know, I'm, God loves you, but he's going to burn you in hell unless you get straight. Yeah. And, and that was so wacky for me. Yeah. And so like, I was like, I don't think that part of the Bible is true either. And so I like my, my Christian faith sort of started my orthodoxy, my belief system started yeah. falling apart almost from the second I got in. Yeah. It was always hard for me to believe. And in a way, I almost feel like um, as white guys growing up in America, we are sort of, I don't know if groomed is the word or like trained or enculturated or something that to like, to like, oh, I can help you with that. And like, that's, <laughs> and maybe it's like superhero movies or something, but it's like, that's an instinct in us to be like, oh, I got it. I know it. I have the answer. I have the thing I can help or whatever, sort of like, you know, a pilgrim handing a native, a, a smallpox blanket. Anyway. No, no, um, no, Dan, let me stop you because you're a kid. Okay. So let me, t- let me tell you something. When I work with college students, when I work with kids, like what you just said is so self-aware, like at, at, when we're young, we want to do something heroic. Yeah, we exactly. want to change the world. Yeah, we want to do something, and and that was my end. Christianity. Now that I'm a secular humanist, like for a long time I was a humanist chaplain at USC oh, wow. in, in Los Angeles, and when I would work with college students, what I found was like, if I just said to them, "Hey, let's all get together and not believe in God," they'd go like, what, what, "Like that? What, why? We, I don't need I don't need a group to do that." It wasn't until we st- I started packaging it as like, "Hey." Let's make the most of our lives by transforming the world into a better place. Like I've got a lot of data and I got a lot of science that would suggest that this is the way that we can, we can be the most fulfilled as human beings. Like, like let's, 
let's change the world in a positive way. Will you join my movement? Then they would go like, oh yeah, now I'm into it. Yeah. Like, I think like we have to challenge each other to do great things. I just don't think you need to believe in supernatural stuff to be inspired to want to make the world a better place. Like I think that's kind of our hard wiring as human beings, particularly when you're young, particularly yeah. when you're young. Yeah. And I don't think it's really doing the planet any favors either. Like sometimes I think one of the most destructive things that has ever been written down and translated and printed and published and read is that um, verse about having dominion over the animals. Cause I think that there's something in that mentality that is like completely um, causing us to destroy the earth. And I don't know, but maybe AI is going to wipe us out and that's not going to be a bad thing in terms of the planet's future. But, um, oh, you don't want to like, I, don't, don't get I, me, don't get me started on all the existential threats to humanity because like that, that's, that's like my, my that's the, I'm, I'm into that stuff. Like, I oh, don't really? think we make it very long. Yeah. No, no. I mean, like, you know, one of the, there's a great, there's a great scientific uh, thing. One of the guys who worked on the atomic bomb was a guy named Fermi. And Fermi asked the question, he said, if it is like, it's clearly, it's mathematically logical that there's life on other planets. And he's like, there's probably thousands of places in the universe where, you know, with all the billions of planets and billions of stars and, you know, yeah. he's like, why haven't we met any of them? Why have none of them visited us? Why? Like, and fair, you know, and, and like, when I think about Fermi's paradox or, you know, like if there's so many civilizations out there, why haven't we connected with any of them? I'm like, my guess is that wherever a civilization emerges, the people get smart enough to destroy themselves before they get smart enough to restrain themselves. Whoa. And so they never get good enough. They, they like, they never, they never can reach out very far beyond their planet because right about the time that they're getting the technology to get off the planet, they blow it up Holy or they blow themselves up. Um, I don't think, I don't think we as a species are really very well, like we're, you know, we, we got some issues. Yeah. Um, but what I do think, what I do think, you know, when you say that verse about dominion over the earth, I think that's probably the most destructive verse for the animals and the plants. I think that the most destructive verses for the people yeah. are the ones about hell. Um, because I, I meet a lot of people who even who have left the church yeah. years and years ago who are still haunted by the fear that that they or their relatives, you know, like are, are going to are going to suffer eternally. And, and, and the other thing, even, even and the verses about heaven, I think, are almost as destructive because they keep people from realizing that their lives are finite and that you don't have forever and that you really need to be busy making the most of this golden opportunity you have to be conscious. Definitely. Um, and so if, if you convince, you know, you pr probably at your church, you've met people that left their families and went to like Africa as missionaries and like suffered might like, you know, because they're like, well, God will reward me in the next life. Yeah. You know? And I'm sort of like, you know, this is the life that you have. You need to figure out how do you make the most of it now? And so, yeah. So I think like, I think there's, depending on who you're, if you're a cockroach, the dominion over the earth is the problem. That's so if you're, interesting. If, if you're a person, yeah. I think the hell and heaven are the problem. And it causes us to not only have so much personal suffering and angst as individuals, but then we inflict it on other people with these hideous ideas. And the funny thing about hell being and heaven being such a destructive idea for humanity, it's interesting because it's their dude, Jesus, 
who was saying exactly what you're saying, which is the kingdom of heaven is now. And so because we're waiting for heaven or because we're fearing hell, we're not actually living right now and all that. And the whole thing is that Jesus didn't even have a concept of a soul. The human of Jesus had to show the physical um, body and had to ascend as a physical body because he didn't have any concept of their of life existing outside of the physical body because they didn't have an idea of souls yet because the Greek guys hadn't come along and made that a thing. Now, day, day, so, day. You, but, you said I was the first Barth that you've met, but the more I hear you talk, the more I think you might actually already have met my friend Bart Ehrman. Just on YouTube's. That yeah, well, that's <laughs> I mean that's right up his alley. And and so like you, if you if you if you want to think about like how did we get to this weird way of thinking. There's nobody I know that knows that better than Bart Ehrman. You should, you should, yeah, you should yeah. like, like that. He, he's a really wonderful resource. Man, I would give it. Cause the anything. other thing is he's, he's also like loving as hell. He's the nicest person you'll ever meet. Yeah. I like him mostly cause I know a lot of Christians who hate him. So I'm like, he must be cool. <laughs> and he's just new Testament, right? That's his jam. He's like a scholar on new Testament. I mean, that's his mega jam. He, he, I mean, like he knows more about all the Bible than you know, anyone I've ever known. Yeah. Times 10. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. May I ask you a question that's more on so, the- so, so Wait, no, 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 Day. You, you you can't. You can't ask me any more questions before I ask you a question. Oh, okay. Because, yeah. no, I mean, when somebody reaches out to me, a lot of times, like, what, 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 what what's happening is, is that either they have left the faith or they're, or they're contemplating leaving the faith. And one of the things that I'm always curious about is like, you know, who are you talking to? Mm. Like, like, like what, what, you know, like, and, and, and like, what's the big, you know, like what's the biggest issue for you about leaving the faith or what's the biggest, what's the thing that's the hardest for you about it? Like, what, 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 what are you struggling with at this stage in the game? I think I would have said the, um, the Pascal's wager thing at one point of just, again, like you said, fear. But then the more I actually educated myself and became more theologically literate, I got to the point where I was like, okay, let's even look at Pascal's wager, like, which says basically like, just in case it's true, like, yeah, then invest in it. Almost like, you know, we know money is fake, but we all still have a Roth IRA or whatever. Anyway, but I, I, um, I realized like, oh, okay, but what's at the essence of that is me devoting myself to a vivisector who calls damning people into eternal torment um, love. And so I was like, you know what? Annihilation would be compassionate. Just annihilate me. Have it be like, have you ever gone under anesthesia? God, I hope that's what death is like, where it's just like, you're there and then you're not, that's it. That's all the, the just blackout. And it's not even a blackout. It's just, it's nothingness. It's whatever. Blackout would be a thing. But um, I think I was like, oh, I don't want to devote myself to someone. Basically, I think Pascal's wager puts you into Stockholm syndrome of like, okay, well, then you might as well love your abuser. And um, it, did, it was too much cognitive dissonance for me. I think ultimately now, Bart, I'm at a point where I'm like, what it looks like to me at its essence is pain management. And um, so some people are so traumatized by the story of their life that the narrative of Jesus really appeals to them and it's their form of pain management. And it's almost like they become love addicts or it's almost like OCD with, um, you know, a church and the Bible and the story of Jesus and the good news, which also to me, every time I heard the good news, I was like, then why does it feel like bad news you know not only because hell seems boring and like shitty and stuff but like also 
or, or heaven seems boring. Heaven, that's what I meant to say. Heaven seems so boring. Like, so if I can do every single trick on a skateboard and never sprain an ankle or whatever, then like, what's next? What's and also, I don't like praise music and stuff like that. So, I I th- I look at it as pain management. Of like, there are people who are managing great trauma with their Christianity. And then there are some people who are just doing the pain management of like, on a more simple scale, I just sort of don't know how to raise my kids and don't feel like I have answers or authority. So I'm just going to take them to church and be like, here's some answers and some authority. And, and that's like a level of like less pain, but it's, it's pain management. And I'm like, um, I, I just don't think that you can put your form of pain management on other people. Like some people drink all day as their form of pain management and they, they, you wouldn't want that forced on you. You know, uh, some people go to sex workers, some people become Christians, some people get on antidepressants and go to therapy three times a week. Sometimes, and I'm not even saying anything bad about that because I'm in therapy or whatever. I don't have any like shame for that, but like, obviously we're all having a hard time. I don't know if it's modern culture and we have haven't evolved as a species to like be comfortable living in our current conditions because it's so natural and unnatural to like what sort of what we're wired for you know like since was it eisenhower with the highways like we're not now we're no longer living in tribes and in community and we're individuals in america is so sick and there's such a deep illness here that it's hard to get well and so we all have our things you know and so let me let me, let me I, slow you I, down let me slow you down just for a second day and just slow you down just for a second Cause like, I, I understand and I, I think I understand and I certainly sort of share the reasons why you're thinking that may be pain management for some people, but that pain management won't work for me because it only works if you think it's true. It's like a placebo, yeah. but you have to kind of like, once you know, if you know it's a placebo, it's not going to work as well. Um, and so I understand why you're not buying into the faith of your, of your parents and, and that lifestyle. I guess what I'm, what I'm really wondering is like, okay, so you know, you're not going to do that. What's hard for you when you turn the other way and you look and you face the world without a Christian community behind you? Like what's hard for you about moving on and try, like, and and figuring out what you are going to do with your life. I mean, is there any struggle for you in terms of knowing what comes next? Yeah, it feels like very, um, like, like if I'm looking into the crystal ball of my future, it's just so cloudy. I don't know what it means, and I, I, I'm curious about what the difference is between, like, you remember what it felt like to be a kid still under your parents' roof what's the difference between still being a kid of a parent on your own out in the world? Like how different is it being an adult child than being a still under the roof child? Are you, do you mean like, what's my, what's my relationship with my parents compared to your relationship with your parents? What's the emotional experience of being a son, even when you're grown? Oh, that's a good one. It's funny because I, I'm a therapist now myself. Like that's oh, what cool. I do for a living. And, and I would say that most of, like a significant number of the people that come to me, the, the driving issue in their life is their relationship with 
their parents. Yeah. That, that in some way, in some way, those relationships define us, not just when we're little kids. Yeah. But we spend our whole lives. Yeah. Trying to make, make sense of those relationships. Yeah. Um, and so what's funny is when I was, when I was about 25, just about to have my first kid, I, I was, I was starting this inner city ministry and I needed some money and I, I you know, I, I didn't have enough money to do this kind of work that I wanted to do. And my dad said, well, why don't you write a book with me? <laughs> like, he's like, my books always sell. And, uh, so I did, I wrote this book about called things we wish we had said, which was letters back and forth to him about growing up. Now you got to remember, I'm still in the faith at this time. Right. Yeah. But like, I'm writing about this act of growing up and basically in, I'm trying to work out my relationship with my dad. What, what you taught me about sexuality, what you taught me about work, how you made me, how you made me feel about the world and my place in it and all that stuff. Working all that stuff. And when I got done with this book, I thought, that's it. I've worked out my relationship with my father. And I had, and I was like, great. And then, and then five years later, I was five years older and I had kids and all of a sudden everything was different. And I understood things about my father and I had questions for my father and I had anger towards my father about things I hadn't even known existed when I was 23. And then 10 years later, it changed again. And so like, you go like, you know, when did you make your peace with my father? And I go like, I, I, I've made my peace with my father 20 times. You, you keep having to make it again because you, he changes. I change. Yeah. Life changes. And so, you know, so. I think when you say like, what's it like? I wish I could say it's completely different. It's so much easier once you're an adult. And I would go like, it's not. And and what's funny is it gets easier for a minute there. And then your parents start to falter and fade. And then it's hard in a whole other way. Cause you're like, how do I take care of these people? And like, they, they screwed me over and yet there's nobody else going to take care of them or they didn't screw me over. So I owe them or like whatever. And, 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 and then they start doing things that, they start becoming different people than the people that raised you. And so you can't even yell at them anymore about the things that they said because that person's not even there. Whoa. It's a different person. Yeah. You know, so so I wish, you know, you say, like, what's it like? And I go like, what's it like on what day when you're how old, depending on what, like, it's complicated. That's all I can tell you. It's really complicated. Yeah. The, the one thing that I, I can tell you is this, is that I used to work in this really harsh neighborhood and uh, a lot of the parents of the kids I was, I was hanging out with were in jail. And I knew this one guy, his father had beaten the crap out of him and just treated him horribly. I mean, it was like, like literally it was like the cigarette burns on the back and the whole thing. And when his father came out of prison, this kid was actually living with me. And uh, he was all excited and he wanted to go see his dad. And I was like, I'm feeding you, I'm loving you, I'm taking care of you. And you want to go see this guy who's been nothing? And it was like, I, I suddenly realized like, it's chemical. He need, like, he he knows that guy's going to treat, and he just keeps going back, just hoping. Maybe, maybe he'll approve of me this time. Maybe he'll see me this time. Maybe he'll care for me this time. And you realize like, we are just hardwired to care deeply about the people whose DNA is the closest to ours. And so you may think that all your problems with your parents are rooted in their crazy supernatural faith journey, but I promise you it runs deeper than that. 
Um, Christianity exacerbates the problems. Christianity causes parents to sometimes think it's okay to like, like, well, in the name of Jesus, I won't speak to you anymore because you're gay or in the name of Jesus, I won't speak to you anymore because you're marrying a Muslim or whatever it is. Christianity complicates it, but I promise you that we could, we could wipe Christianity off the face of the earth tomorrow and people would still have really hard relationships with their parents. Yeah. And spend every decade of adulthood, like ruminating over like these to people who brought you here and do you be, do you see i i always hear people say like do you see the older you get like that you become more like them even like physically or like like because because that's the crazy thing we are them right you, you know you know you know you know who your parents are you, you ever played poker yeah in poker you get dealt a hand of cards but that's not the end of the game yeah the rest of the game is like and, and, and a big part of whether you're going to win or lose is wh- whether you get good cards or bad cards or what cards you get. But the real game starts once you have the cards and then it's like, with how do you play them? And really good poker players can take bad cards and they can beat you with good cards. And really bad poker players can get all the best cards in the world and they still lose. And, and so w- when people talk to me about their parents, I'm always like, look, there's nothing we can do about the hand you got dealt. For the rest of our conversation, you can join Patreon, Supporting Cast, or Apple Premium. You'll get access to more bonus content, behind-the-scenes conversations, and early ad-free episodes. All of that is yours when you join and subscribe. A very special thanks to my main man, Bart Campolo. I mean, what a sport. He jumped in being himself while I was in character, and I enjoyed it thoroughly, and he's the best. And I'll say this, for a guaranteed better quality of life, Get to know Bart Campolo and his guests over on his outstanding podcast, Humanize Me, wherever you get your podcasts. But only do it if, like, you know, you're interested in good vibes and healing and feeling less alone and being inspired by the possibilities of this beautiful life. I love you, Bart. Follow him at Humanize Me Podcast.